time, the way we start Aggies for Christ is with something fun called the God's Child Yell. It's a heck of a lot more fun if you do it with some enthusiasm. So, repeat after me. Are you ready? I am, I am God's child. God's child. I, am I am somebody, somebody. because God, God don't make, don't make no, junk. no junk. Amen? 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 Amen. 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 Y'all can have a seat. Hey, well, welcome to AFC. If this is your first time, my name is Matt Schock, and I'm the campus minister here. And usually I get the privilege of, uh, of sharing with you and getting the opportunity to preach, but tonight you're in for a treat. You're in for somebody who's uh, he's been in it far longer than me. He's far better at it than me. Um, our preaching minister, Charlton Taylor, is with us tonight, and so he's going um, to bring us the word. I'm super excited personally to hear from him. Now, if you didn't know, tonight the topic is going to get a little uh, heated. I'm talking about sex tonight. Okay? Yeah. I don't, know. I don't know how appropriate that is in church, but that's okay. When, uh, when Charlton and me were putting together this series and talking about, you know, what we wanted in it and stuff like that, Charlton came up with most of it, and he had some, some sermon title ideas, right? And so he was, he was sending them to me. He said, hey, Shock, what do you think about, what do you think about sexology? And I was like, yeah, that's a good name. He's like, what do you think about let's get it on? I was like, yeah, that's a funny name, too. Like, that'd be good. And then the third thing he said, he's like, what about, uh, what about watching Netflix? And I was super confused. I was like, watching Netflix? And I, and I was driving. Sorry, I'll, I text and drive. I'll repent. But I was driving, and I stopped, and I was at a red light, and I thought about it, and I was like, I think this guy means Netflix and chill. <laughs> and, and it was what he meant, and his wife corrected him, and it was super funny. But um, that story makes him sound old. He's actually super hip, and he has a heart for, uh, he has a heart for people. And so I'm excited you guys get to, get to hear from him tonight. So if you all would welcome Charlton Taylor. Hey, Matt, stay right there. Stay right there. Yes, I am old. Now, now this was not planned. I was saving this reveal for tonight. Why don't you check this out? Oh, Tessa, we need a picture of this. Will you come take a picture of this? That's right. Uh, yeah, because that makes me look taller. That's good. Oh, yeah. That's good. Thank you very much. Yeah. This is good, and I'm glad to see that we are now uh, rocking the man bun here at AFC. That's good stuff. I have a bald spot, so I can't do that, um, which my 10-year-old son likes to make fun of, and he started saying things like, um, no offense, and so we had to explain to him, when you have to say no offense, you mean to be offensive, and so now he says, You've got good hair except for your bald spot. Offense, is what he said. So, appreciate his honesty. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, I um, yes, I am old. Um, by obviously how I don't know jargon anymore. But I, I was preaching one time. It was, you know, it was a good-sized church. And it was a, I was rolling through this sermon on Sabbath. Sabbath meaning rest or stop. And I was talking about the idea of a stop day. That the rhythm that God built in, that he built us in to have rest in our life. And a stop day is a day where you don't work, you don't answer emails, you don't do anything work-related. You just kind of exist and celebrate existence or being alive. And so at the end of that sermon, I was just rolling off different things that I thought, um, you know, you could do on a stop day or a rest day. I said, you know, take a nap, cook with your family, go for a walk, uh, you know, go for a hike, go camping, uh, you know, watch the sunset on your back porch. And then, you know, just kind of within that list of things, I said, you know, have sex with your spouse. And I just kind of rolled off and kept going. The next morning, right, this, this a Monday, this lady shows up at my office by like the time the doors are open. And she comes in, and she is irate. 
she's irate. You know, I, so the whole sermon wasn't on sex. The sermon was on Sabbath, right? That's all she heard was that one line. So she comes into my office. She sits down. She says, I am a single mom of three. My boys hear about sex at school. They hear about it on the internet. They hear about it on TV. They hear about it from magazines. They hear about it from their friends. And now they're hearing about it at church. I don't know if she liked my response. Because I said, well, good. Because the place they need to be hearing about it more rather than less is church. Because they're hearing about sex everywhere else except in the church. Because when I grew up, I don't, I don't know if, if, if you grew up like I did. If you grew up in the church, you probably didn't because you're a lot younger than me. When I grew up, we didn't talk about sex in church. Like I never heard a preacher stand up there and say the word sex right? If he did, he was in trouble on Monday from the leadership of the church. We just, you didn't talk about it. It was a private matter. It's not something we talked about at church. In fact, a lot of families didn't even talk about it. I didn't even talk to their kids about it. I had a friend who, uh, his dad, his, his sex education was his dad gave him a playboy and said, good luck. I mean, that guy's going to have some issues when he gets married. I guarantee it, right? So, I mean, there was a lot. It was one of those private matters you didn't do. So, the church was silent for a long time on the subject of sex, and here's why I think they were silent. Because the church was reacting against what I would, not against sex, but against wrong sex. Okay? They weren't reacting against the idea of sex. They were acting against wrong sex. Because wrong sex had been defined by culture. Right? Through the media, through Hollywood, through television, through movies, through, you know, literature, through, you know, the magazine racks and Cosmopolitan. That had defined for people sex, but it was defining wrong sex, right? It's, and I would define that as sex that is flippant, sex that is abusive, sex that is exploitative, that, you know, sex that is, um, that is you know, uh, uses other people. That's how I would define that kind of sex. It's, you know, glorifying affairs, glorifying multiple partners, glorifying sex outside of marriage. I mean, all, this, is, this is wrong sex, and this was defined, you know, this is defined by culture. And so the church was afraid to say anything about sex because, because wrong sex became synonymous with sex. So the church became silent because they were afraid if they said anything about sex, what was going to happen was people would associate it with wrong sex. But this ended up backfiring because by being silent on sex, what the church ended up doing was sending a message that sex was bad, that sex was dirty, that sex was unholy, that sex wasn't spiritual. Right? I, knew, I know girls who grew up, you know, and that's all they heard their whole life. Right? They didn't talk about it. It was something that, you know, that's bad. Don't do that. You know, that's, that's not a good thing. They got married, and when they would have sex with their husbands, they would feel guilty. They would feel guilty. And here's the problem with that whole idea. Here's the problem. That's not biblical. That's not Christian to say such a thing that sex is bad or that sex is wrong. Sex is great. Sex is amazing. I mean, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because here's why. God created sex and culture hijacked it. Okay? God created sex and culture hijacked it. So the issue, the issue is not sex. The issue is wrong sex versus what I would call right sex or godly sex or good sex. Those are all synonyms for me. Okay? Wrong sex versus good sex or right sex. And the problem is when, when the church went silent on talking about good sex or right sex or, or defining what that is, that gave culture the only voice to define for you and for me what sex really is. And it's the wrong voice. And it's the wrong definition because it's wrong sex that's being defined. 
So here's the problem, all right? Here's a problem as I would state it. An oversaturation of wrong sex and an undereducation of right or godly sex. That's the problem. An oversaturation, too much, right? It's everywhere of wrong sex. And an undereducation of, of right sex, which is why we have to talk about it. Which is why the church has to talk about it. Because if we don't, all we leave is the voice of culture. All right? And, and I, I am a firm believer that if the church isn't talking about relative issues in people's lives, everyday relative issues, then we're missing the point. Because I believe Jesus is the most relevant person today. And from what he teaches, from how he lived, and from the love that he shows. I think he's the most relevant guy. He makes sense for our jacked up world. He really does. So that's the issue. It's a twofold problem. You guys, honestly, your generation is more saturated with wrong sex than any generation before it. Your generation and those younger, my kids, you are, old, you have, you are bombarded with wrong sex. I mean, I, I, was, I was hearing about an outdoor, research, uh, outdoor um, retail show, right? So this is the show every year or all the, you know, the retail stores like REI and Bass Pro, they show up at this thing and they find out what the latest outdoor gear is going to be. And they use this outdoor, you know, and they find, okay, this is what we want to put in our shops. So that's kind of the idea. So these guys go to this show, to this, to this show right? You've got to be a retailer to go there. They go there and a hiking shoe company, okay? Hiking shoes. Right? It's what you wear to hike in the, It's what you wear on your feet, okay? To sell their hiking shoes, they brought in a hot tub, got hot girls, put them in skimpy bikinis, and stuck them in the tub. Because that's what you think about when you're looking for hiking shoes, right? It's just oversaturation with, with wrong sex. I mean, it's everywhere. I don't know if you remember the dot-com boom. Probably not, because you were toddlers, all right? So the dot-com boom, you know, it's going crazy. And GoDaddy comes out with this commercial in the middle of the Super Bowl, right? They spend like a million bucks, and what they do to advertise is they take a girl, honestly, with big boobs, they put her in a tight shirt, and she runs around. Now, what does that have to do with, do with getting a domain space? Nothing, right? But every guy who watches Super Bowl remembers that commercial. Because we are over, you and I, I mean, your generation especially is oversaturated with sex, and it's so accessible with wrong sex. It's so accessible. It's a click away. It's a click away. I mean, you have, we have browsers now. You have browsers now that have a private button that doesn't keep track of your history. Why does that exist? To invite you to look at, you know, sexually explicit material that is dangerous to look at. That's the only reason to stay, right? You don't use the private button when you're looking for chocolate chip cookie recipes, right? You only use it when you're looking at stuff that you hope people don't find out about, which most of the time is sexually explicit material. I mean, it's that easy. Sixth graders today can get on their iPod and they can find sexually explicit material that 30 years ago, men would have to go into our biggest cities, into the worst parts of the biggest cities, and in the middle of the night to find that kind of material. Now it's this far away for sixth graders. Because you're, it's, there's an oversaturation of wrong sex. There's never been a more important time to lay out a theology of sex, Right? to lay out a, a spiritual understanding of what sex is supposed to be. And that's what I want to do this month, all right? That's what Matt and I want to do this month. So if you're here, right, if you're here and you're not a Christian, first of all, I'm glad you're here. That's brave of you to step in. You know, Christians are weird. <laughs> I admit it, you know. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And so here's what you need to know. As Christians, part of our confession of Jesus as Lord is that we're confessing not just he's Lord, we're, we're willing and we're submitting ourselves to his way of life. 
which means our desire, we don't do this perfectly, we mess up all the time, that's why we lean on his forgiveness, is to submit every aspect of our life to the teaching of Jesus. Right? That's kind of our goal. That's our goal. Right? Submit every aspect of our life to the teaching of Jesus, which includes our sexual life. So what we're going to learn, I mean, we're learning from a biblical perspective. We're learning from a Jesus perspective. And so what God says about sex, what Jesus says about sex, is authoritative for those of us who've submitted our life to Jesus. Right? It's authoritative in our life. Now, if you're not a Christian, it has no authority on your life because you haven't submitted yourself to Jesus. All right? So here's what I would say for you. If you're not a Christian, I want you to listen to this alternative perspective on sex. What I would call godly sex or right sex versus wrong sex. Because it's radically different than what you're bombarded with on a daily you know, in your daily life. All right, so I just listen to it because here's what, here's what I, I believe with my whole heart and I have experienced. That wrong sex or culturally defined sex is destructive. And the sex that God calls us to and the way he's designed it will create a better you. Even if you're not a Christian and you live out what God says or what Christ talks about, your life will be better and the life of those around you will be better. And I am 100% convinced of that. 100%. Because we can be honest, whether you're a Christian or not, there is sexual brokenness in our world. Sex trafficking, right? Sexual abuse, the exploitation of women, rape, right? Sexual diseases, and even on a very basic level, probably in this room, I guaranteed in this room, right? There's feelings of emptiness because you're pursuing, you're pursuing unconditional love, you're looking for unconditional love, and you're looking for belonging, and you're looking for it in sexual relationships, and it can't do that. And so you're empty. So even on that level, right, even on that level, there's sexual brokenness. There's sexual brokenness in this room. And that, that's why it's important to listen, because I believe what God says and what Jesus says actually can fix that brokenness. That it repairs the sexual brokenness in our world. And that's why I think it's important. And wh whether you're a Christian or not, I think it's really applicable. So first, if we're going to lay out, okay, what's, what's a theology? What's a, what's a godly perspective of sex? You've got to start with this idea, okay, with this truth. God created sex, and he created it good. That's probably not right grammar, but right? God created sex, and he created it good. Oh, look at this. This is Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible. Right? God just created this amazing creation. Right? He's created this incredible world. And then on the last day, he creates the apex of creation, and that's us, humanity, right? So you got Adam and Eve, the first, you know, the names for the first man and the first woman. And God's created them. And here's what he says to them after he creates them. This comes from Genesis chapter 1, at the very end. This is verse 28. He says this. God blessed them, Adam and Eve, the first humans, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. What's the first thing he tells Adam and Eve? He says, Be fruitful. That means have babies. Having babies requires intercourse. Right? So God commands Adam and Eve to have sex. And then down here in verse 31, after he's done all this, the very end of creation, he says this. God saw all that he had made, which includes, right, telling Adam and Eve to populate the world through sex. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created sex. And he created it good. He intended it for it to be great. He intended for it to be pleasurable. He intended it for it to be fantastic. In fact, you read later in the Bible, there's a book called Song of Solomon. 
Song of Solomon supposedly was written by King Solomon to one of his wives, all right? And uh, it's, it's kind of the courting process, and then it goes into the marriage, and it's kind of these love letters back and forth. And it's a pretty graphic uh, book. Jewish boys weren't allowed to read it until they turned 13 because they were afraid it wouldn't make them too excited, if you know what I mean. And that's never good for Hebrew school. So chapter 7 of Song of Solomon, it says this. I'm going to read this straight from the Bible, all right? You can read it on the screen. This is Solomon first talking to his wife. He says, How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. And we're like, oh, okay. And then he says this, I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. We know what fruit is. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. And then look what she says in response. May the wine, which is what? You know, her mouth. May the wine go straight to my beloved and flow gently over lips and teeth. That's some French kissing going on there. (laughs) I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. That's in your Bible. We got showers in the back if you need them, all right? Back there in those bathrooms. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's some pretty graphic stuff, right? That's, I, I, that's some graphic stuff. Guys, don't, don't jot that down like, you know, if you throw a Bible verse in, to pe- don't, don't put that one. That's just awkward, okay? That's awkward. Right? But it's there, right? Because God created sex to be good, to be enjoyable, something to celebrate, you know, something to be grateful for. I mean, it's a fantastic thing. If, if all sex was about was to populate the earth, he wouldn't have made it pleasurable. He would have made it to be enjoyed, right? So that's, so that's the thing. But here's the thing. If God created sex, then he knows how to have the best sex. God knows. That's a weird statement. Doesn't it sound weird? God knows how to have the best sex. He created it. I mean, think about it. That's the reality, Right? And so that, that's what we're looking at, right? He, in, in other words, if you're a Christian, what God says about sex, because he's the creator of it, should dictate how we live our sexual lives, how we live it out. How we practice sex should be dictated by what God says. Because here's, here's the reality. God designed sex to function in a certain way. And when we live outside the way it was designed, it becomes destructive. And you'd be going, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. No, I don't think that's true. Like, like if I said... If I said, okay, sex outside of marriage is destructive, you're like, nope, probably not. I'm like, okay, all right, you can laugh at that. That's okay. Um, if I said pornography is destructive, you might be saying, Charlton, you, you just don't live in the modern world. Right? You just can't escape it. It's everywhere. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Then I would say, uh, sex with a donkey, that's destructive. And maybe you threw up in your mouth a little bit, right? And maybe those of you who are more bold might say, that's totally nasty. Well, it's not destructive. If somebody wants to do that, they can do that. Okay. Sex with a six-year-old. That's destructive. There's a limit in there. At some point, we're all going to say that sex, there are certain boundaries with our sexuality and with our life, right? Then at a certain point, sex can become destructive. Nobody's going to stand up and say, no, I think that's okay, right? Those are the people most hated in society by Christians and non-Christians alike. You see what I'm saying? So there is a boundary. We all have a boundary. What I'm saying is, as a Christian, if we believe God created sex, let's listen to what his boundaries are because he knows what he's talking about. And if you're a non-Christian, I'd say just, just listen in. Just listen in because I think you're going to discover something pretty amazing. All right? 
In other words, God's definition, his, his, his um, design for sex is not because he's a prude, but because he knows that when sex is lived outside those boundaries, that it can wreak havoc in the world. And it has. And it has. All right? So here, here's, just to kind of get started um, in looking at this idea of, of sex, I want to read from first century Christian. This guy's name is Paul. Uh, Paul went around and established a lot of churches in the first century, and he established them, and then he kind of, uh, he took off pretty quickly. So he left about a really immature group of Christians. And so the only way he could kind of help them mature was through letter correspondence or coming back and visiting them. So he had these letter correspondence going on. One of the groups was a church in the city of Corinth. So there's several letters that go back and forth between Paul and the Corinthian Christians as they try to better understand what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live out this new identity in Jesus Christ. And one of the things the Corinthians churches had wrong was they started combining Greek philosophy with Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And they came up with the idea through that that everything physical, right, anything physical, anything tangible, anything made of matter was bad. Because it wasn't going to last forever. But in the end, all that was going to be left would be spiritual things, not physical things. Which, so they said, well, if, all, if the physical doesn't really matter, then it doesn't really, you know, it, it, there's no eternal implications. Then it doesn't really matter what we do with the physical things. And so some people took that to the next step and were like, well, if it doesn't matter what we do with the physical things, it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. So they started going off and sleeping with prostitutes. Whether in the temple to Aphrodite, you know, some form of worship for kind of some of the Greek gods, so they'd sleep with those prostitutes, or they'd just, you know, go around the city and sleep with prostitutes. And so Paul writes to correct that thinking. And he says, ah, nope, sleeping with prostitutes, that's wrong sex. And so he, he explains that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And here's what he says. Verse 13, he quotes them. It's from chapter 6. He says, you say, and this quotes, food for the stomach and the stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. In other words, right, it's material. The material's not going to last, so hey, let's sleep around. That'll be nice. And then, then Paul comes back and says this. He says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not meant for wrong sex, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So he's, just, he's dispelling this notion that the physical doesn't matter. And here's what he said. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will rescue us also. In other words, when Jesus came back to life, he didn't come back as a ghost. He came back with a body. So the body does matter. The body does matter. And then he says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And then he says this. A nice little shocking statement. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? That's a rhetorical question. He says, never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in his body? For it is said, and then he quotes Genesis, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So here's what Paul's saying. When you become a Christian and you submit to the way of Jesus, we believe that God's spirit comes and dwells in your physical body. Right? And that's the same spirit that is in Jesus Christ himself. The exact same spirit, which means that ties you to Jesus in the deepest way possible because we both share the spirit of God. And he says, so when you go and sleep with a prostitute, it's like having Jesus sleep with a prostitute. Okay? And then he says this. That's argument one, right? Then he comes back in verse 19. He goes, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? 
who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God's, God with your body. And he uses this image from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a temple. And in the middle of the temple was the, was the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where Israel believed that God actually touched earth. Right? Where the presence of God actually dwelt right there. And one time a year, the holiest of people in Israel, the high priest, would cleanse himself and put on holy clothes that had been sprinkled in blood because that's what cleansed him. And he would go into that room and he would take a sacrifice, and the blood from a sacrifice, and he would cleanse that room again just so God would come back for another year and dwell among them. That was the holy of holies. And God says, that's not how it works anymore. Through Jesus now, the Spirit of God dwells in your physical body. Your body is a temple of God. And so he's kind of saying, all right, when you sleep with a pro- would you take a prostitute into the Holy of Holies and have sex on top of the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant? The answer is no. He says, then why would you do that with your body? But he says the physical does matter. You see, in the Old Testament, in the, the Jewish mind, there really was not a separation between the spiritual and the physical. And that's why Paul says, honor God with your bodies. And then he says this in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from wrong sex. And here's why. Because sex is spiritual. There is not a separation between the spiritual and the physical. Sex is a spiritual act. So, if God says the body matters and we honor God with our bodies, then those of us who are Christians, we need to know how do we honor God with our sexual lives. That's what we're going to look at. All right, next week I want to define for you what I want to lay out what I think God's definition is of good sex and right sex and the best sex because I believe Christians should be having the best sex. That's what I'm going for, all right? I believe that. I believe that. But I think that falls, that means it falls within what God designs, right? So come back next week, bring a friend. If you're real daring, bring your boyfriend or girlfriend. If you're really daring, Bring your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you're sleeping with. That'll create some interesting conversation, won't it? All right, let's, let's, let's be real, right? Okay? So here's the thing, though. If there really is, like, if there really is a wrong sex, which I believe, otherwise I wouldn't be saying it, and there really is a right sex or a God-defined sex or a good sex, and if most of us, and if all of our lives we've been bombarded with wrong sex, right, that's kind of, for most of us, that's the definition of what sex should be, then chances are, in a room of this age, of this size, there's sexual brokenness, right? There's sexual brokenness. You either have a history of sexual brokenness or currently your story is one of sexual brokenness. Listen, I have a story of sexual brokenness. I have a history of that. So you, it, this, in other words, this, this series isn't about judging people. It's not about shaming people. It's not about ma- making you feel guilty. It's about inviting you into the best kind of sex. It's about inviting you into something better and new. Listen, I've tried wrong sex, and I've tried right sex. And I can vouch that God knows what he's talking about. One is destructive and one is not. I can vouch for that from personal experience. He knows what he's talking about. So that being said, knowing there's sexual brokenness in this room, some of you are going to feel guilty. Some of you probably do right now because you know. Some of you are going to feel shame, which, by the way, that's not from God ever. Guilt is because it leads us to change. Shame doesn't. So that's not from God. 
Some of you are going to, you know, it's going to be difficult to hear. Maybe it already has been. Maybe you feel uncomfortable. Here's what you, need to, what you need to know. That no matter your sexual story, no matter how broken it was, no matter how broken it is, that does not stop the love of God. Love of God is a river that always moves towards you, and you can't build any kind of dam that will stop it. It will flow right over it or right through it. So no matter how broken your sexual story is, his love, it cannot stop the love of God. And you need to understand that. Ground zero. Matt Chandler, you may have heard this story. It's a good story, so you can hear it again if you have. Um, talks about a time when he was in college. He's a great communicator. He talks about a time when he was in college. And he, and his, he was in a, in a college class with this non-traditional student. You know who those are, right? People that are way too old to be in college, like in their 30s or something, you know? Like, yeah, so those not tra- trad, you know, non trad, what we used to call them, non traditional student in class with them. And she had a single mom with a daughter. She had this really broken sexual story. And Matt and his friends, this Christian group, kind of, you know, befriended her. They, would, they got really close with her where they would babysit her daughter while she went to work and while she, she did, wrote papers and studied. I mean, they really took her in. They kept inviting her to church because they wanted her to come and, you know, be a part, but she would have nothing to do with church. I don't know if she'd been hurt in the past by it. I don't know if it, it was her own shame and guilt that kept her from going to church. She didn't want anything to do with it. Finally, Matt Chandler got her to come with him to a concert that one of his friends was leading worship. This is a Christian, you know, Christian kind of rally, and so his buddy was leading worship, so she came to watch him. And it just happened to be that night that the speaker who got up was going to talk about sexuality and purity. So he gets up and he begins to tell this, you know, he, he starts off with a rose and he takes a rose and he, he hands it out in the crowd, it's beautiful, you know, perfect rose. He says, hey, I want you guys to take this rose, smell it, touch it, feel it, pass it around, you know, we'll, we'll pick it up later. And then Matt Chandler says, he goes on to give probably the worst talk on sex and purity he's ever heard. I think at one point he talks about wanting to punch the guy in the face. I mean, that's, you know, that's how bad it was. So he gets to the end of his talk. He's like, hey, where's my rose? Can you pass my rose up, please? So they pass the rose up. Now, you know, hundreds of people have, have handled it. The stem is broken. The petals are smashed. Some are missing. The leaves have been pulled off. I mean, it's a nasty-looking rose now. When the guy gets to him and says, this is your sexual life. He says, you see how many people have handled this rose? You see how messed up it is, how broken it is? And the whole time, all Matt can think of is, she's the rose. Like this lady who hasn't, you know, finally I get her to some event, and she's the, that's her story. This is horrible. Shut up. And the guy kept going on and on about it. And then he kind of closes off, and he says, who would, who would want this rose? Like, who, who, would, who would even want this rose? And Matt said, it took everything you do to not yell out, Jesus does. Jesus wants that rose. That's the truth. That's where we have to start. Yes, there is a wrong sex. Yes, there is a right sex. Yes, many of us in this room have engaged or are engaged in wrong sex. But that doesn't stop Jesus' desire and his love and his pursuit of you. Nothing stops that. And you need to understand that. It doesn't devalue you. It doesn't do anything Remotely, Jesus is after you. He wants you. And you're, listen, you're in a community of broken roses that Jesus is arranging into a beautiful bouquet. That's what we believe. So we're going to sing a song here in a minute um, after I pray. And during this song, listen, if, it doesn't have to be about your sexual life. I know that's probably, oh, if I get up, people are going to think, who cares, right? I mean, we all have belly buttons, right? 
Yeah, the answer is yeah. We all have sin too. It's the same thing, right? It's like trying to pretend you don't have a belly button. We've all got issues, all right? So Matt and the interns, I'll be back there as well. If you want to pray with me, we'd love to pray with you about whatever it is, whether that's your sexual story, whether that's just about anything, or celebrate with you something going on in your life. Um, Let's pray, and uh, then we'll do that. Father, we uh, thank you that you love us even when we're stupid. We thank you that uh, your grace can cover anything we've done. And God, we're thankful that it doesn't just erase the past, but that it makes us new. We're thankful that you are constantly inviting us into new and better and healthier life. And God, I know, I know there's there's sexual brokenness in this room. God, I pray that people, first of all, will feel your love and will know that no matter whatever their past is or whatever their present is, that it can't stop your love for them and your chasing of them. That you couldn't love them any more than you love them right now, that they know that, God. Because that's the beginning of transformation. That's the beginning of change, is knowing you love us right where we are, Father. I pray for that. God, I pray over the next several weeks as Matt and I talk and as we dive into the Word that you'll help us understand your design for sex so that we can live better lives so that we can honor those around us, so that we can honor ourselves, so we can create a better world, so the brokenness, the sexual brokenness in the world will begin to be healed with us and with our own sexuality and our own sex life, Father. We pray for that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.